a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, we have the great Kathleen Marden. She is one of the most incredible OG UFO authors and researchers in the game. Uh, we are also just past her uh, aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, who were the first, of course, abduction case in the U.S. We just passed their anniversary of 60 years, September 19th of 1961, when that event occurred. And that, of course, spawned off all the high strangeness in her family and her interest in the phenomena in general. Now, she takes the position like uh, we do here on the show. We don't know what it is, but we know that it's not just nuts and bolts. It's ancillary phenomena that it's um, associated with it as well that cannot be ignored. And Kathleen is, like I said, an OG, guys. She's one of the greatest researchers for the phenomena. We are grateful to have her on. So without any further ado, Kathleen Marden. All right, ladies and gentlemen, an incredibly special episode. Uh, we have the great and powerful Kathleen Marden on the show with us. Kathleen, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Nice to be with you. I cannot tell you this is such an honor. Uh, so we're doing this on my birthday. It won't be out um uh, which is September 18th, but we're going to be uh, releasing this a little bit later on, so it will have already passed. But um, just, I guess, wanted to acknowledge, of course, the 60 year anniversary tomorrow uh, of Betty and Barney Hill's abduction, your aunt and uncle. Yes, and I want to acknowledge your birthday oh. today. So happy birthday and my aunt and uncle's 60th anniversary of their UFO encounter and contact experience in New Hampshire's White Mountains. It's wild. September 19, 1961. I mean, the first reported UFO abduction case in the U.S., which is wild. Uh, and of course, you know, um, whenever I told my wife about you, because God love her, she just hadn't heard of you. And that's OK, right? But I uh, told her, um, oh, my God, it's Kathleen Martin. You know, this is a big deal for me and uh, for my listeners. And so she said, oh, and we put on one of your one of your talks. And I told her, you know, as much as I could about who you were. And she was like, oh, I just thought she was, you know, the niece of this, you know, couple that this happened to and that uh, she didn't do anything on her own. I was like, no, 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 no. You are one of the pioneers, one of the most influential researchers in the game. You're a living legend. And we're going to get to some of that because I have some uh, questions for the next generation for you uh, here in a little bit. But um, if you don't mind, for my audience that just isn't familiar with you yet, do you mind just uh, sharing just a little bit about who you are? No, not at all. Um, first of all, I'm Kathleen Marden, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, I did have a professional career. I was uh, a psychiatric social worker, and also uh, then from there I went into education. I was an education services coordinator. But 30 years ago, I left all that behind and began my research and investigation of UFOs, of the of archival 
uh, research on the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs. I wanted to know what they knew. And uh, also uh, offering uh, support and also uh, back then the investigation of ET contact. Today I've moved way beyond that. I have five books working on a six. Uh, also, I am uh, a, a hypnosis practitioner. I do quant the quantum healing hypnosis method as well, developed by Dolores Cannon. Uh, and I uh, am co-host of a support group, Awakening Souls. And that is for individuals who have overcome fear and are working toward the expansion of consciousness. So I've I've moved beyond the nuts and bolts, and it was just a logical progression over all of these years. I've worked on three major studies on more than 5,000 experiencers, and uh, I'm a television commentator on a variety of different shows. Uh, you name it. I think I have my hands in everything. Oh, yeah. That great and powerful moniker for the introduction is relegated only for the finest, you know. So you got you got one of those. So I know you are incredible. And your book captured, of course, uh, co-authored with Stanton Friedman. Uh, groundbreaking. That was fantastic. Uh, and your works have been amazing. Here's one here. Uh, the Alien Abduction Files, of course, that you wrote with uh, Denise Stoner, and we've had her on the show. So uh, all of this is is incredible. Like the the way that you've done your research, the approach that you've taken is what we here on the show talk about a lot. We don't plant our flag here. We discuss the ideas, but we have definitely progressed, I think, uh, at least my audience and I, uh, past the nuts and bolts aspect of it. You know, and I mention this a lot. It's the next step for this. And, and nuts and bolts is where you start. Some people don't ever leave that base, and that's okay. We need that because they really dig in on that research, and they tell us a lot of stuff that we just kind of move past. It's interesting and could be relevant. So I, I find the different camps interesting, but I'm with you. I'm, I research in the direction that you do with the, all the ancillary phenomena being completely part of it. So I, what made you come to that conclusion or lead you to that idea? Well, for years and years, I was a nuts and bolts researcher. I uh, was an investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, trained by them. And that was what was respected. The other uh, type of phenomena were was considered to be woo-woo and uh, not real. And then in 2011, Denise Stoner and I began our first study of experiencers. And we did a study then of 50 experiencers of ET contact. And we had a 25-person control group. We were attempting to identify commonalities that experiencers share that are not commonalities in the general population. And some of the questions on that questionnaire uh, were really revealing, and uh, especially about paranormal phenomena in experiencers' lives. And so I started to explore paranormal phenomena and the overlap. Well, I had some in my own house when I was growing up. Uh, but, you know, I was off to college by the time it really manifested after a craft landed across the street within 250 feet of my childhood home. Uh, 
So I had to then remember that even though I was trying to force myself to just put it in the background, forget about all of this, Kathy. (laughs) And uh, I couldn't forget about it any longer. And then uh, in 2012, a man who was participating in our study uh, lives in Australia. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to uh, speak with Keek, who was a little ET, that little gray that he was in communication with. And so we had uh, a meeting set up. It was via Skype. And, and so he introduced me to Keek. And uh, he, as a medium, spoke uh, the words that Keek was saying. And finally, I challenged Keek. I didn't know if this man was legitimate or not because of my mindset back in that time frame. And so I challenged him. I said, I have had chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome for quite a long time now. And I want to know if you will please heal me because here I am speaking to the public, speaking in conferences, and I am ill when I return home. And, and it's really cutting into my uh, style, you might mm, yeah. say. And so I didn't anticipate that I would be healed. But three nights later, I woke up in incredible pain, just a deep, deep pain. And I woke my husband up and said, I'm in so much pain. I'm afraid we're going to have to call an ambulance. And he said, well, just give it a few minutes and see what happens. Well, what happened is within a few minutes, I found myself in a matrix environment. Uh, It was a little bit foggy. Uh, I could detect two tall glowing entities by my head. I don't know if there were more than two. And then I saw... And I don't know how I saw this, but I saw the outline of what I believe was my body uh, lying down. And I could see energy, like movement, passing through the periphery of my body. And then some of the internal organs were highlighted in pink and in mint green. And so... Uh, That was the last thing I remembered until I woke up the following morning. And when I woke up, I felt like I was 23 again. I have not had a relapse since that date. So I considered that remarkable. And that was evidence to me that it is possible for these entities to communicate with humans telepathically and to heal people as well. So, uh, when was that, that really again? changed my outlook? Uh, yeah, I would think that it would it would alter your perception a little bit. I would think so. Yes. Uh, when was that again? That was in 2012, I believe. Do you remember the month? It, no, I really don't. It might have been February, but I'm not certain. That's okay. I was just curious. Uh, did you notice any ancillary phenomena? Because you'd already been researching now for, for a while. So did you note any UFOs or poltergeist activity around that time? No, I didn't. Did you uh, ask for this specifically on a maybe subconscious level internally to yourself even? Um, 
No, I just outside asked, of the outside of the alien he, entity to heal okay. me. See, it was and, sort of a test, yes, uh, to determine whether or not Keek was real or if Paul was uh, simply delusional or um, you know maybe hoaxing me. Right. You never know. I did, I'd never met him before. Yeah, and then of course your intent is probably what brought the entities in, and it happens like on an astral level, kind of a thing. And then you, your body can be repaired in that way. So, do you think that that's what happened? You were in an astral space, looking at your body, watching entities that aren't necessarily visible unless they want to be. Um, and they I were wasn't. On your... No, I wasn't above my body looking down. I was in my body. I could see the periphery, and then I could see what seemed to be like a screen. Over to I see. my oh, right, okay, okay, but I'm not sure if it was really a screen or a holographic image or a vision. I'm not sure what it was, but I was feeling strong electrical tingling through my body, and um, I said, can you stop the pain? And they said, uh, it will only be a short time if you can tolerate it, but it's necessary for healing these organs. I oh, God. And then you wake up and of course you're, you know, much, much younger feeling. Um, was, was there anything else associated with this? Did it change your husband in any way? Or was this extremely physical and local to you specifically? It was extremely physical and local to me. Interesting. Cause you'll sometimes hear of other things happening. Like your husband might've been too close, you know, and then they kind of fix something with him as well. Cause they were there. It's an, you know, it's part of it, but it's very specific to your energy field specifically, whatever's running this. That's fascinating. Yes. Okay. Um, so you talked about that 1966 landing in your grandparents' place. I love that story. Do you mind walking us down how that even came about? Yes. I would be happy to tell you my aunt and uncle Betty and Barney Hill uh, had been asked by a team of scientists to attempt to call in a UFO. And uh, they were attempting to observe this and to acquire a piece of hardware and meet with these ETs. So Betty uh, said that she would be willing to do this. And they gave her a script. Every night she would go out onto her back porch and she would attempt to send telepathic messages out to these non-humans. And she discovered that after doing this for about two months, she had success. But it took two months for each time for uh, each event to occur. Well, one of those was a request for craft to land on my grandparents' farm. And on this particular night in April of 1966, a craft did come in. Uh, one of our neighbors who was a commercial pilot observed it coming in for a landing, seemingly. And my grandmother woke up and went to her window and looked out and there it was landing as well. Uh, so we had two witnesses to this event. It left physical trace evidence on the ground that was investigated. And, uh, you know, after that, my family started to have paranormal activity in my childhood home. So uh, in 1966, that was the year I turned 18. And when this uh, activity began, there were light orbs that seemed to have intelligence that were seen. Um, 
also the feeling that uh, something unseen is walking on the bed and doors would open and close, not just in front of family members, but in front of people who had come to the house for meetings. My father was a Cub, uh, Boy Scout leader and my mother was on the committee. They had committee meetings at my childhood home and uh, people were amazed. They would hear a baby crying from another room. They would watch a door as it opened, the cat would walk in and then it would close again. Very strange things happening. And then um, when I, many years later, I was married, I had uh, two children and I was back visiting my mother. And one night I heard my son, who was four years old at the time, making a ruckus in the room next to mine. And so I've wanted to tell him, time to go to bed. And so I got up, went into the bedroom. I'd left the nightlight on for him. And there he was chasing one of these light orbs. And both of them were having a wonderful time playing together. And it was darting around and he was trying to hit it. And uh, I... uh, was so startled, I picked him up and ran out of the room with him in my arms, put him into my bed. And that was the end of it for the night. But that was such a surprise. Another time, my husband and I stayed at my mother's house and we slept in her bed. She went and slept in one of the twin beds. And so it was nighttime. We were uh, asleep when suddenly I I woke up because I could feel walking on the bed. And so I felt around, I couldn't feel a cat. And then I had my husband turn on the, the light on the nightstand. And we both got up, we looked for that darn cat, we couldn't find it. And we went back to bed and we felt it walking around again. And very strange. And so the next morning, uh, we said to my mother, do you have a ghost cat? (laughs) And she said, oh, that I forgot to tell you about that. But then I did uh, in, in one of the studies that I worked on, two of them were PhD with PhD scientists, we had statistical evidence on that. Uh, For bed walking, it was 74% of the experiencers had had that experience. For light orbs, it was 60%. So quite high among the experiencer population. You know, uh, what this makes me think of is maybe because of the uh, phenomena of the UFO, it kind of thins a veil in the area. And that's why now you're uh, that that area in particular, maybe even a particular group of entities such as yourself and your family. You know, maybe you guys are now affected by this. Uh, Were your parents because your aunt and uncle's case kind of kicked it off for the um, high strangeness in your family? Yes, it did. And my aunt and uncle were having these experiences in their own home as well. What do you think about the idea that um, missing time uh, and like the the time element to this, that's been very fascinating to me. And I've had a question about this missing time that I'm just going to actually go ahead and tell you and then I'll um, get back to what I was going to say. But um, why do you think missing time exists? Like, let's say in, the, in my reasoning for the question is, is because I, I understand the the thought of like, if we 
Trank an animal, and we take it for observation, or we're helping to repopulate rhinos in the wild or something, that animal is going to experience missing time from its perspective if it's self-aware. But we are self-aware, and we do experience missing time. My question about why it happens is why do they let it happen? It seems that they're either not in control of that part of time, in control of everything else, or because I've heard a lot of the time slip stuff. I know like Pam Nance, again, we've had her on. She was talking about the abduction case that she went and investigated and got missing time herself. And then they can hear on the audio tape that still was recording out of their the only piece of their gear that remained on and they can hear themselves talking over themselves at the same time. So it's like time's overlaid. Yes. Which leads me to the idea that maybe they can manipulate time. So my question about their ability to do things with time is why do they allow for the fact that some of it can be unaccounted for? Um, First, I want to say I'm the investigator on Pam Nance's case and I did the hypnosis And it was a very interesting case because there does seem to be kind of an overlap of time there. Um, I don't know. I don't have the answer to why uh, there is missing time, why the average uh, length of missing time is two hours or so. And, uh, you know, but, but for some people, they have been returned before they were taken. Yes, yes. For some people, uh, there are only, you know, a few minutes of missing time. So I don't understand all of that. But I think uh, that it has something to do with the time-space continuum and uh, moving from one uh, dimension into another through these interdimensional portals that are opened into the home's of experiencers. Absolutely. It just seems interesting that it exists at all. If you had control over it and you don't let anyone else remember anything else consciously, but the missing time is kind of a smoking gun for the incident. So it's kind of interesting that it's even allowed to happen, which leads me to believe maybe that that they want that to be there as kind of a marker as like, oh, something happened, you know, and kind of pay attention to it because you're being contacted in that way. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's like a mini memory that they feel that you're capable of stomaching at the time because maybe maybe all at once would be just overwhelming. Now you're curious. Now you're like, hang on, I've got two hours of missing time. I've got to get to the bottom of this, you know? So now it's like a a journey that you're engaged on with intent to figure out this mystery. And at the end of that mystery may lead you to what actually happened, which was an abduction phenomena. Uh, It's it's just interesting to me. Like I said, it's it's a question I've never been asked. Like, why the missing time? If they have control over it and they don't want you to remember anything else, why do you think they let you remember the fact that you have unaccounted time um anyway so back to uh what we were talking about about the the time slips though um and these interdimensional type portal uh type incidences that occur i mean it's almost like that feeling of the cat walking on the bed is a cat but it's not from this time it's from a different time and the overlays occur to where there was something walking around there maybe months maybe years maybe you know decades ago uh, but it's just not there now and that impact kind of bleeds over into this time because it's such a area now that's been affected by high strangeness. And it could be entities that are just outside our own visual range. We yes. have, as humans have a very limited visual range. We can't see into other dimensions. And uh, many of these entities are fifth dimensional beings. That's what they say. <laughs> and, that, and that's also a question I've got. So do you trust um, what the contactees relay to you as far as um, what the aliens or entities or whatever they are tell them? Well, I took part in an experiment 
with a man named Kevin Briggs. And uh, he met some friends of mine at a MUFON conference in 2016 in Orlando, Florida. Now, I was a speaker at the conference, so I was working the entire time. I had a vendor table and I didn't have the opportunity to meet Kevin. But then uh, my friends asked me if I would have lunch with him. So uh, my two friends and I had lunch with Kevin and eventually, you know, this happened two or three times. And then eventually uh, the conversation became so interesting that I invited him back to my house and we were asking him questions. And all of a sudden it seemed like he was channeling. Now, I didn't recognize this, but my friends did. They were a lot more familiar with this than I was. So then uh, after we learned more and more, he gave us scientific information from the council of ETs that he speaks with. And so uh, that scientific information was very interesting. It was uh, how to stabilize element 115. Hmm. And... uh, on, on Pentium. Yeah. And uh, so that was very interesting. He also gave us other information, scientific information that was interesting to me. And then eventually we were invited to uh, take part in an experiment. And this experiment would meet, the people would meet once a month at his house, one Saturday per month. And we were each invited to ask questions and we could take equipment if we wanted to. So we went and uh, we started with our questions. And then at the next meeting, all of these entities, all eight, introduced themselves to us one at a time. When some of them introduced themselves to us, we felt very strong electrical tingling through our bodies. Mm. With one of them, it was kind of so powerful that we could almost see parts of this individual. It was translucent. And we could also measure temperature change in the part of the room that those entities were standing in. For the fifth dimensional entities, the temperature went up six degrees. But for the ninth dimensional entities, it went up even higher than that. And so that was very interesting. Then we had the opportunity to meet one of them and to learn to communicate telepathically. So... I I took part in this. They were going to show us craft. And first, uh, my friend Melanie, they don't mind if I use their names. Melanie went first. And uh, the first night that she was supposed to see this craft, she didn't. And uh, it was explained to her that there were a lot of people out in her neighborhood. And she said, yes, there were a lot of people. So they didn't want to show themselves then. But the following night, she did see craft. And so that was her confirmation, her reveal. And they had arranged to see her the following night. 
Okay, as an as a consolation, like, hey, it's our bad. It was too too busy. Um, yes. What do you think about the cases? Because uh, I'm sure you've heard as well about cases where there'll be a group of people to see a UFO and two don't, or the rest of them don't. Or you'll see two people. One will see it clear as day right there in front of you. Can't you see that? And the other one won't. So do you think that that's something that's because of the individual or, or because of the entities revealing themselves to only a certain number of people? I suspect that it could be both, but I know that in these experiments that I've taken part in, um, we had skeptics at the group eventually. We expanded the size of it. The skeptics never saw or felt anything that we did. Yes. And so I think that um, that left brain part of them uh, causes this information not to be accessible. You have to learn to be in your right brain in order to experience this so you're vibrating at a higher frequency the frequency component to this cannot be understated and that is something that we cover a lot here because i completely agree with you uh, it's just interesting that and, and then though to that point then that was a question i had like okay well if they can show up um then why didn't they just show let her see but through this model, which I think is brilliant, it's very well thought out, uh, is that because there are other people there that are into their right brain that they didn't want to reveal themselves to that could potentially see them no matter what the entities wanted. Because they do exist in a certain frequency around us potentially all the time, and you just have to tune in to be able to see them. And I've heard it explained like they kind of have to dial their frequency down and we have to dial ours way up, and they yes. kind of meet somewhere in the middle, which is fascinating to me. Okay, that's very, very interesting. So uh, what do you think uh, the whole thing is? What do you think it's all about? <laughs> nice softball I don't, for you. You know, I don't know because I was never able to determine that these entities were actually extraterrestrials and not interdimensionals uh, who did not come from other planets. I, I challenged them on that. I said, well, I'm aware um, of an experiment of this type that was done back in 1954 with a Navy Admiral and uh, Wilbert Smith from the Canadian government and uh, other government, federal government agencies. And these um, same entities, you know, came through different names, but a council of entities who claim they were on huge motherships, uh, ships so large that they actually contained motherships. And then, and smaller disks as well. And they gave uh, Admiral Knowles and Wilbert Smith a great deal of information. And the only way that I came across this is that my Aunt Betty told me about knowing Admiral Knowles and about his relationship with Wilbert Smith and the woman named Frances Swan. Um, and so then I went looking for Admiral Knowles' family. I couldn't find anyone, but I was talking on the radio, putting out the message. And finally, his granddaughter came to a conference that I was speaking at, and she brought a thick packet of information, and it included the letters between Wilbert Smith and Admiral Knowles and and. It really revealed a tremendous amount of information. So I'm thrilled with that because the messages are essentially the same as the messages that I received from 2016 on. 
I mean, it's it, this is ongoing. We only meet a couple of times a year now, but I meet with others and meditate every Friday evening. Sometimes I contact counsel and I always have someone with me as well. And I'm not sure what that's all about, but uh, sometimes when I'm speaking, uh, I have strong tingling in my crown chakra. Sometimes the tingling goes through my entire body. In fact, when I was talking, I just uh, did feel that. Oh, cool. We're dialed in. I love it. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, and it feels good. It has, it's oh, it feels a really great. Pleasant. I've had it the whole time. This is wonderful. Yeah. You oh. are an ab- absolute delight. I'm telling you, this is a, a bucket list moment for me personally. So um, I, I was curious about whenever we look at um, why do you think that the abduction phenomena exists in the first place? Why do you think that people get taken? Well, what the the general explanation that I know that I've received from ETs on that is that uh, there is a problem uh, with humans, that our technological progress uh, outweighs or is out of sync with our spiritual development. And when this occurs, it can lead to the disintegration of the species and everything on the planet, actually. Uh, They've seen this happen before. It's happened on this planet hundreds of thousands of years ago, and they they won't let it happen again. So they're attempting to uh, produce a more survivable species uh, that has different characteristics that they're not the new the new human is not as barbaric <laughs> as the old human good that's what they uh, talk so, about about the next next level of consciousness maybe that's what it is yes. it's a technological integration with our dna with a hybridization program which is what we hear a lot yes interesting you know, so that's their explanation for for that and and i think it's highly plausible it is plausible, but does it resonate as truthful with you personally? It does resonate as, as truthful. I want to believe that as well. Yeah. Another reason why they take us is uh, those of us who have lived near uh, nuclear bases and, uh, nu- and waste dumps, uh, chemical waste dumps, uh, have been taken. They're testing our tissue. Uh, to determine the level of toxicity in our bodies. And they work to heal us. Um, So uh, that's another positive thing as far as I'm concerned. Do you think that that's what explains one of the commonalities with abduction phenomena and experience or contactee phenomena, uh, that their parents are somehow connected to the military? Do you think that that's what that is about? Well, if if they had a parent who was on a nuclear base... Or if they had a parent who was a scientist uh, who worked on uh, government nuclear projects, it's high, uh, a high percentage. Yeah, that would, that would be individuals from my estimation who have contacted me and told me this over the years. Yeah, that's one of the questions, and of course, a lot of military families uh, live on base, where you know these things they're in proximity to these things. So that would make a lot more sense. That's very interesting. See, you just you wrap up like the the big ones, you know, you like connect all these amazing dots. And I've seen your presentations, of course, read a ton of your stuff, and the way that you break down percentages of 
occurrences within the contactee phenomena. I mean, was a craft involved? This many percent. Was a craft not involved? This many percent. Even down to the um, entities that are reported. Uh, you know, okay, well, we've got a gray three to four feet tall. That's reported this amount of percentage of time. And it's fascinating the way that you do this. I think that the, the way that you're meticulous about the observation, it, it says a lot and it's done phenomenal things for the, for the movement. Well, for me, it's it's extremely important to have statistical information to rely on. And I worked on the Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation study, and then I spearheaded a uh, my second uh, personal study. And I did this through the Mutual UFO Network's experience or resource team. I was the director of that. It was called research at that in that time frame. I did it for 10 years and stepped down this year due to time constraints, but uh, I had two PhD uh, scientists who were working with me, social scientists on that study. And I think it's important when, you know, I don't have a doctorate, although I did study sociology and and did uh, research when I was in college. Uh, It's been a while (laughs) since I was in college. But so I felt it was important to have uh, highly credible individuals working on this with PhDs who have done this sort of thing for a living. And so we did. And it's so much more important than just my personal opinion or someone else's personal opinion, because uh, that can be very slanted. And I, Mm -hmm. I notice when researchers have not uh, done this kind of study. It is very slanted in one direction, and their level of knowledge appears to be small compared to those of us who have participated in these studies. Yeah, and and even paid attention to it just a little bit more outside of the nuts and bolts thing. Uh, I think it's very, very important. It's got to be part of it because it's so prevalent. And I think it might be uh, the biggest key to understanding all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. So what's the most substantial understanding that you personally have gleaned from the years that you've been doing this, you know, from all the cases? Well, the most important thing for me is that experiencers, regardless of the type of experience they have, tend to feel trauma after it occurs. And a lot of them just get really weighed down with this trauma. Um, they, they might have a religious overlay where they feel that they are uh, being contacted by demons and they're stealing their souls and they're going to go to hell or, you know, these horrible things are happening because they've, uh, read some of the early researchers' uh, studies where it said that humans are being treated like lab rats, that uh, these entities never communicate with us, and uh, it's all bad. In fact, they want to supplant us. They're making uh, hybrids who are secretly in- infiltrating our society and uh, are going to uh, simply... Uh, exterminate humans. And uh, so it's important that we move beyond that. And that's why, really, I formed MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team. We started out with three people. When I left, we had 50 who were speaking with experiencers in a non-judgmental way, 
giving support on a day-to-day basis. They also have a list of support groups. They have uh, a list of vetted hypnotherapists and uh, psychotherapists who do, some do hypnosis, some don't, but some people just have to get past this trauma that they're carrying. And um, when you do, then you can move on. I teach people uh, who are, are experiencing this trauma to gain control of themselves so that uh, when this entity comes into their environment, they can project love. And it's really hard because you, know, you have that fight and fight or flight response and then um, maybe a negative and angry reaction. If you do that, you're going to attack. Uh, you're going to attract the lower vibrating entities yes. Yes. that will attach to you and make your life miserable. But if you can move beyond uh, that fight or flight response, then you can uh, establish a better relationship with the higher level entities, and you can learn from them. And you can make them part of your life if, if you would like to do that. And if you do, uh, it's very rewarding. Uh, you, it will raise your own vibration. And uh, so you can move toward what they call ascension. And do you, <clears throat> excuse me, do you think this is like putting toothpaste back in a tube for people that may, for the small percentage of people that either are repulsed by this, don't get the same uh, feelings, high vibe feelings about it, or they're just not interested? They're, no, we're good. We're just going to go, um, you know, watch The Real Housewives of whatever and just enjoy our lives. We're not interested in doing this. Do you think that's an option? I, I give people an option to do whatever they wish. I mean, from the entity's perspective, do you think that that's an option for them not to get contacted anymore? Because you don't really hear about people saying, you know, I was really contacted and I didn't really care for it. And then they just stop because I didn't want them to anymore. It, it seems to continue to happen. Well, in my book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When you're, You've Been Abducted, I've written an entire chapter about how to make contact end if you want it to end. So there are a variety of different suggestions that you can use. Uh, one of them is as simple as singing the Mickey Mouse sound, song uh, <laughs> when they come into your environment. So your, your mind is very, very busy and, and they can't gain control of your mind uh, so that you can do that. Or you know, some people say that you should uh, call out to a higher power and so that's worked for people who want to make this end. Some people have just asked for a reprieve. Um, or some people have said, you know, uh, this is really difficult for me because you take me at night when I'm supposed to be sleeping. And then I have difficulty getting up for work the next day. Can you just take me and do what you need to do and not have me wake up? And so... Uh, that's happened for some people too. And that was my other question is if they even decide that they don't want interaction on a conscious level, then it may continue, but they just might not let you remember it at all. Right. Yes. And then I, I spoke to one person recently who uh, called on a higher power and said, I'm breaking my contract. If I had a contract with you, I'm breaking it. I don't want this to happen again. And she hasn't had it happen again. Consciously, yeah. 
That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. And I have heard the higher power thing, mainly Jesus. They say Jesus. And this is what lends to the idea that they're demonic or something, because then um, you're calling out a specific higher power's name, which is in opposition to something you feel that you need protection against. And it mm-hmm. works, which lends, you know, do you do you think there's anything to that, that it's, it could be de- a demonic trickster type element thing that just tells people what they want to hear and makes us feel good, but really it's some sort of prison planet idea. Now, personally, that's a very low vibrational uh, outlook on it. So I'm not a, a particular fan of that. It, it actually doesn't resonate with me the way it should. I just I'm just curious if do you think that they're both options that you can pick the high vibe one and you can also resonate with the low vibe one because they both exist as options? Well, in my book, I I wrote about um, attracting the lower vibrational entities. Um, the way that happens is if you're in pain, uh, that can happen. If you are depressed, that can happen. If you uh, are addicted to alcohol, if you have more than two drinks a day, that can happen. If you're addicted to opioids, that can happen. Uh, In fact, in India, they believe that all alcoholics have lower vibrational entity attachments. So uh, all you have to do is raise your vibration by um, not doing these things. If you are depressed, uh, take an antidepressant to, to raise the vibration. So if you're in pain, uh, try to uh, do things such as using um, non-prescription, non-opioid pain relievers and try to heal yourself and it's possible to do that. I, I recommend that you do chakra meditations where you have a silver thread from source that uh, spirals down and enters your body through the top of your head. And it enters your crown chakra and sends healing light into all the cells in that part of your body. And you go through each chakra And um, then as you're doing that, you ask to have these chakras cleared. And as you move down through your body, you're going to carry those uh, blockages out finally through your legs and through your feet uh, for as excess energy that anyone can use. And then uh, do that. And then I recommend that before people go to bed at night, that you do this meditation and you uh, put a bubble around yourself, a beautiful iridescent bubble, fill it with white light. It's your protection. Nothing can harm you mentally or physically as long as you're in that white light. So uh, I've... I've recommended that to many people. I've done the meditation with people, uh, sometimes at conferences, sometimes through consultations, sometimes uh, in my hypnosis practice. But yeah, I do what I can to help people through this, to help to raise their level of consciousness and spirituality. And people love that. That's where they want to be. They don't want to be bogged down with negative entities. 
Right there with you. And the, the thing about the, I want to say it was a Vedic translation about the alcohol. And alcohol translates to spirit. That's what spirits, right? And demonic. So that's like taking over you, right? And controlling you in that way. Um, but that's just an interesting perspective. Something else that I find so fascinating about this is uh, all the accounts that overlap, but they're described as different things based on the perception of the person or their beliefs or ideologies. So again, back to the, um, if a Christian uh, were to get abducted, they would appear to them as demons. They would appear to them as negative uh, entities or be interpreted that way, at least, no matter how they physically appeared, if at all. Uh, and then for someone like you, it's a spiritual experience. Um, other people then find it to be a jinn or like that we are this prison planet. And then they mirror that. They seem to kind of know what you expect them to look like or pre- present themselves in a way that's what you expect in a certain way. So what do you what do you think that's all about? The variety of how the phenomena appears and how personal it seems for each individual. Well, another question that we asked on that questionnaire is what type of entity did you interact with and uh, what how did you perceive that entity in terms of your emotional relationship with that entity um, the the highest percentage were a, a race of grays uh, next came the human appearing types that was just underneath this these races of grace. And then from there, there were the uh, praying mantis types and the reptilian types that were uh, humanoid, not the, not the lizard or the, the alligator type ones that they call draconian. Draconian, reptilians. yeah. Those are really bad. <laughs> those are the those baddies, are yeah. bad, bad, bad. You don't want to interact <laughs> with those. That's right. So if you are, you want to uh, raise, raise your, your vibration body. immediately. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Post so, haste, yeah. And then beyond that, there were tall whites, tall goldens, light beings, uh, short blues, tall blues, uh, avians, uh, uh, all sorts in lower numbers, small uh, furry creatures. I want to check those out. Those sound like a lot of fun, like uh, uh, Ewoks or something like that, or Wookiees, right? Uh What is that? Ewoks, that's what it is. Yes. Um, So... You know, that's always just been something that's fascinated me. me. And then whenever you get to the point that I know um, Heineck there at the end with with, uh, Sufos was talking about that it might be a psychosomatic type of a phenomena, that it might be just something that the earth is creating or that we are manifesting co-collectively or it's there in some spiritual capacity to perhaps guide us or to let us know that there are mysteries still out here. And then the contactee element to that is just kind of a more of a confirmation that there's there's a lot more here that we need to figure out and it just makes me excited so doing the research you have done for so long you've done a phenomenal work as far as setting the foundation for the next generation which leads me to my next question what do you think the next generation is going to encounter as far as their research goes Well, I'm hoping that the next generation will move beyond the nuts and bolts. I have to say nuts and bolts is important. Mm -hmm. We have to to value that as well because physical evidence is important. It gives us some insight into what is occurring. Uh, The star map that my Aunt Betty Hill saw, uh, and it was scientifically investigated, and the discovery was made that it appears that Uh, Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2 are the two base stars. And all of those stars have special properties. Uh, All the stars on Betty's map are sun-like, although 
uh, only 5% of the stars in our local galactic neighborhood out 54 light years of sunlight. And all of the sunlight stars in that volume of space are on Betty's map. Um, and also, they're all in a plane, sort of like pepperoni on a pizza, as opposed to raisins spread out of, through a thick loaf of raisin bread, which means that it's logical and it's easier to travel from one star to the next. So it's a logical pattern. The uh, uh, scientists who vetted Marjorie Fish's work on that star map said that it was accurate. And it's still accurate today. It's amazing. So uh, it's it's remarkable. Uh, it leads me to believe that uh, at least some of these entities are interplanetary. There are others who say that uh, they came from a planet, maybe even in a different galaxy, but they have they just travel on very large craft now. Some say that they have. Uh, their planet is no longer capable of sustaining life. And so they're living on these huge craft. Uh, so I, I, it seems logical to me. Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, the Dogon tribe, right? I mean, hundreds of years before our ability to detect Sirius B knew about that star. And they said, that's Absolutely. where the star people come from. They're like, how do you know that? They're like, oh, they told us. It's like, you, could, you can't see it. So obviously there's something going on and something to this. Now, I'm a big fan of all the cool phenomena, hollow earth. Uh, you've got, you know, the variety, right? They're just AI coming from other things. The interdimensional for sure. Had a guy named Paul Askoff um, on the show, wrote an incredible book. And it's all about the interdimensional phenomena. It blew my mind. But that's one that I really like. And then, of course, the future humans coming back in time machines. Uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters, I know Diane Tessman as well. Uh, and these theories to me are wonderful. I want them all to be true. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. I think that things could be coming from other stars. I think that it's interdimensional as well. I think that's also perhaps why we get a variety in craft and of entities as well is because it's it's different phenomena, but it's all kind of, you know, playing on the same team in a way. It's just one step out and it does feel like the next level for us consciously as a society, as a race, you know, right, as a species to level up would be the way that now we're tuned to be able to perceive these things. And it, I agree with you. I don't think it has to be all one thing yeah, right? Uh, or another. It's, I agree that uh, there's enough evidence uh, in support of every one of those things that you spoke of that uh, leads me to believe that many things are occurring at once. Absolutely. What's your favorite? Like the one oh. that you're just like, oh, that would be so cool if that's the way it is. Well, I just love those interdimensionals that Kevin Briggs uh, introduced me to and who still come back and uh, are in my life from from time to time. I, I It makes me feel really good. Yeah, right. It's so just, I do enjoy that. Yeah, and like, I know that they're not demonic. I've felt demonic before. I've felt negative entities. They feel entirely different than the positive ones. This is what's also fascinating about this is just the juxtaposition of experiences and how diverse they are and how 
really t- two people can have the exact same experience, but but feel completely differently about it. And we see this in witness testimonies for, uh, you know, something that a crimes that occur. You can't trust it because their interpretation of the memory of it is all that you have to go on, not the actual memory. You just have your interpretation of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to me that these uh, resonate in different ways. I do think it's an incredibly mysterious part of this experience. And I'm super excited like you. I, I don't necessarily mind if we never figure it out. I think that we have enough handle on the way it makes us feel that that's okay, which actually leads me to my next question. Do you think disclosure is important? I think that limited disclosure is important, but I do not think that the human population uh, is ready to Uh, meet the extraterrestrials. They're so different than we are. And, uh, you know, the idea that they communicate entirely differently, they don't look like us, they are from another dimension, although they can lower the vibration, I think, using technology so that we can see them. Um, Especially the fundamentalists uh, across the world would have an extraordinarily difficult time with that. And I know I've spoken to a military officer about this and, and you know, the idea of telling, <laughs> telling the population that people are in contact and not all of it is with permission of the experiencer. And uh, you can't tell that to the general population. You can't say this is happening to people and there's nothing we can do about it. Do you think that we've come any further than with, um, you know, the Orwell's um, broadcast where everybody lost their minds? Is that what this is based on? Do you think, because I think predictive programming is a very real thing. And I think that the grays and the idea of um, entities have been put out in our media, uh, movies, all of that for a long time, possibly to prepare us a little bit more culturally, mentally for that idea. Uh, Something that they didn't really have back in the 30s. But I... I agree with you that fundamentalists probably would have a problem with it, but this also might explain why the Pope came out and said, guys, it's not necessarily not true that we don't have aliens too. So you can see these religious leaders kind of come out ahead of this and say, guys, it doesn't mean that our God's not the thing and we should still follow the book, <clears throat> but it might be possibly an addition to. Um, I don't know. I'm with you. I've, I've got kind of a mixed bag. I kind of tend to lean a little bit more because I'm a boundless optimist. It's it's annoying sometimes. And I tend to think uh, that humanity is kind of ready for it or that at least the the results of what the interaction could be, not necessarily your government coming out and saying, hey, aliens are real, just deal with it. But perhaps the interaction and the response and the communication, the contact on a global level, I think that the results of that would yield a much more palatable um, transition. Well, I think the CE5 experiments for contact on a global level among those of us who are interested in that and able to uh, incorporate that into our emotional and intellectual lives is very good. We need to do that because we have to raise the consciousness of this planet. We need to raise the vibration um, through plants through all of the animals through humans as well uh, in order to overcome this uh, COVID problem that we're having worldwide and uh, so many other things, wars as well. 
Yeah, I think we're all just over all of that. I think we're just yeah. over it. We're all really ready. And there is some sort of renaissance happening now. There is some sort of uh, awakening that's going on. And this actually yes. was my next question based on what you just said. So I agree with you that I don't think that the fundamentalists and things would have as easy of a transition. But do you think that it's going to take a cultural change of our paradigm collectively that's happening right now? We're seeing hints of it. Do you do you think that maybe the spiritual awakening stair step, um, you even look at things like the ayahuasca experience, these are... Um, pursued endeavors. So these are things people are seeking out with intent, high, high raising their vibration. So they're kind of seeking that. And that's why they're able to find it. I mean, you find what you're looking for, right? You do. But some people uh, find what they're not looking for. There, I have known people who were uh, attempting to communicate with non-humans, but they knew very little about ETs and ET contact, and they ended up with negative entities as well. That can definitely so, happen. That's uh, I so say be careful it. of what you're asking for. Make sure that when you do this, you do it with someone who is in contact with higher level entities. This, again, ties so much into like the psychedelic experience. You want a trip sitter. You want somebody to be there with you while you experience this new world or while you're embarking on this new vibrating journey, however it uh, plays out for you. There are just so many similarities in the altered state experience or the next level of vibration. I think you really nailed it with this, with the vibratory uh, nature of it. I think that that's one of the biggest, if not the most key component to this, because it is an individual personal experience, which always led to a dead end for me. But now vibrationally speaking, because I'm very tied into the spiritual element of it as well, it makes so much more sense. Thank you. Yeah. And, and this is a, a very important personal message that I'm attempting to carry to humanity and, and have been uh, working on this for the past few years because it's so incredibly important. I agree with you on everything except the word trying. Um, I think you were successfully doing it. And then that's the only way that we uh, diverge in that idea. Um, well, what do you think is the next step um, for all of this? The next, the next thing that you're excited about and looking forward to? I am looking forward to having these entities show themselves more on a wider scale um, so that others who depend upon physical observation will be able to see this and will be able to realize that this is positive. They can communicate, these non-humans can communicate with the humans uh, on the ground as they hover above them uh, telepathically. And I think that's extraordinarily important. And also that people come together, um, you know, all over the world in these CE5 groups, larger and larger groups to share information and to disseminate this information as much as possible across uh, all media, not just uh, the UFO or paranormal or uh, spiritual, but across a wide span of media. Could not agree more. That's why the show is called, I had to tell Stephen Bassett that. I was like, it's not called, this is what aliens are. It's called expanding reality. We're trying to figure it all out here. We're figuring it all out, right? Um, Kathleen Martin, I cannot tell you uh, what an honor this has been. I'm truly, truly grateful for your time. You're so wonderful and delightful and warm, and I knew you would be, and so this is even better. So thank you. I really do oh, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much, and, and best of luck to you. Thank you for having me on the show. It was a delight. 
What a warm wealth of information, insight, knowledge on the UFO phenomena. Uh, she is just the OG for a reason, guys. She's been doing it for a long time, but she has the eyes to see all the other ancillary phenomena that have to be included in an educated kind of a further pursuit of uh, what the phenomena is, and I completely agree with that. That's that's what we talk about here a lot. So um, all the ways to find her, of course, guys, will be linked in the show notes. Go check out uh, some of her work, her uh, book, uh, The Alien Abduction Files, uh, with Denise Stoner. And, of course, we've had Denise on the show. She's wonderful. That's a great read, all these incredible cases. So uh, if you are interested in the UFO phenomena at all, which I know most of my audience is, please go check those show notes. That is some paramount information and a paramount researcher and author that you've got to include in your collection if you don't have it already, uh, which I'll be shocked if you don't. So that being said, uh, the music that you're hearing underneath this, of course, guys, is my good buddy Vinny the Saint. Go check the show notes down there to find Vinny. Uh, go show him a little love. Say hi uh, if you're so inclined. If you like the music that you're hearing and the stuff that we put at the end of the episodes here, that's Vinny's stuff. So go tell him how much you appreciate it. Just say hi. Uh, also down in the show notes is going to be the link for the website. So expandingrealitypodcast.com. Uh, that's where links to all the socials and everything can be found. YouTube, can you can click right on there. Go see the video of this and all the other conversations as well. Uh, there's a merch um, link down there also. We have t-shirts now. So go check that out. Great way to support the show. Rock the threads, and we do appreciate it. So uh, go out into your week this week, guys. Uh, just pick up a piece of litter, of course. Be nice to every human, animal, entity, anybody that you come across. Uh, get out of the left-hand lane, of course. Uh, we don't like that. It's a pain in the ass. Nothing lowers your vibe like riding in the left lane, especially in Texas. So if you're going to do it, do it anywhere else. Uh, and then uh, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or a bottle of water, something simple. Uh, the reverberation effects and the ripple effects of that one act go further than you could ever imagine. So just try it out. It feels great, and, you know, somebody will appreciate it. Uh, but beyond all of this, guys, go out into your world this week, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.